Well, hello everyone. This is Tommy at World at War Comics and welcome to another amazing interview. But before we get into that, you know what to do. Hit that subscribe button. Make sure you hit that ring bell so you know all the interviews that come to you. Um, all right. So today's episode, of course, is brought to you by Cien Chili's. They are our sponsor of our podcast, Cien Chili's, C-I-E-N-C-H-I-L-E-S.com. If you love hot sauce, you are going to love Cien Chili's. Go to cnchilies.com. Check out the hot sauce, put some in your cart, and then at checkout, make sure you use the word comics and you will save 15% off your total. And we're also brought to you by Comic Crusaders, the best website in all your comic reviews, your movie reviews, even music. So check out Comic Crusaders today. All right, without further ado, and you probably are already aware of this gentleman, it is Mr. Charlie Stickney. He is the author the writer, the creator of White Ash, um, which is absolutely amazing. He has also written Glarian, which is part of that series. He also has written The Game. Um, he was an executive for Scout Comics. Wait until you meet this gentleman. We're going to have a blast. I think you will, too. Without further ado, here's Charlie and I. Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to World at War Comics podcast. Today, I got a special guest. Met him at an Ontario event picked up a bunch of his comics. He signed them all for me, so I've been putting them in these really nice uh, holders. Charlie, stick me. Thank you so much for joining me. Really a, a pleasure to see you again. How have you been? I, I've been really well. Uh, yeah. I, as, as we were just talking off the air, you know, the uh, the writer's strike just ended and, yeah. and people are getting back to work there. Uh, I, I have a lot going on on the comic front and, and I'm very fortunate that I have a very large fan base yeah. So I get to to make all the stories that I want to make. And uh, so as a creator, I'm in a very privileged position. Yeah. And uh, so, but it also makes it very busy. Yeah. You're constantly <laughs> cre creating new things. Uh, yeah. I, I saw one of your uh, interviews with, um, oh, uh, just trying to think who your last one was with. with oh, um, Philip Kennedy Johnson. Philip yeah. Kennedy Johnson. Yes, exactly. Who is, yeah. who is talking about how busy he is. And it's a privilege to be oh, that yeah. busy. Um, but then you're that busy. And yeah. so, you know, it's a privilege. It's, uh, you know, it's, yeah. it's, it's something that, um, you know, it's like, a, it's a privilege to work, but then when you're working yeah. all the time, you have to sort of sort that out. Yeah. Still a lot to balance at the end of the day. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, maybe, you know, since you mentioned the strike, um, I'm glad that it's over. Um, I know that you mentioned that you were part of the writer's guild. Um, I, were you affected, um, like some of the others were, uh, Charlie, I mean, how much work were you not able to do during that? Cause you're well, still able I'm, to work on the comics, correct? On that side of the business. Yeah, exactly. Okay. And uh, I mean, honestly, like my journey, like a lot of different people, um, has been, uh, you know, I, I've worked in various aspects of the entertainment industry. Yeah. Comics was my first love. Yeah. Uh, but I spent a long time in the entertainment industry, both working in animation, okay. in, in film, a little bit of television, but for the last seven years, I've been mm -hmm. primarily focusing on comic books. So yeah. even though I'm a proud member of the Guild, most mm -hmm. of my day-to-day -day surrounds comics. So um, it affected me in the sense that I needed to go out into the picket line yeah. to support yeah. everyone. Sure. And, and that was something I did. So it took time up. And I spent a lot of time on social media trying to raise awareness of yeah. what was going on. Um, but but in terms of like how it affected my my daily income, I was very, again, very fortunate that most of what I do now comes from the comic book space. Yeah. Well, unfortunately, just, uh, you know, seeing some of the news and specifically like on YouTube, um, listening to interviews of folks who are on the line, I think a lot of them were affected. So it is yeah. I am glad to see that people are hopefully starting to get back to work. I think this week, right? They should be back, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, you know, yeah. I mean, as soon as as soon as the strike order was lifted, and I think it was like Wednesday night of uh, yeah. last week, mm -hmm. uh, there are people who went immediately back to work. Oh, good, um, good. But that that said, uh, and I I hate to sort of put a cast a downer over all of it, yeah. like the comic book industry, yeah. the film and television industry is going through a little bit of a contraction right now, mm. um, and and so I think there's going to be an adjustment period. And this is something that's happening in comics right now yeah. is the market is adjusting to find where it's real balance is mm. because over, over COVID and over yeah. the last couple of years, the market's been inflated beyond its capacity to sustain. Yeah. And so, you know, right now it's sort of readjusting 
how many publishers do we actually need? How many stores can support, you know, the people who are out there looking for comics? And so sadly, some publishers are probably going to close down. Some stores are going to close down. Uh, on the television side, maybe a streamer will close down. So like it's, it's for the overall health of both industries, there needs to be a little bit of contraction to make sure the best content is being put out and not right. just a dump of everything. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a really good point. And I think as a comic fan, I think if we're really honest, we could probably see that a little bit. I mean, there's just so much content out there. Um, and on, on one side, right, it's really good because we're starting to see some really neat talent kind of come into comics um, because of the availability. But to your point, it's so much that how do you take it all in? And as a fan, you know, how can you help someone who's interested in comics direct them to the comics that are right for them when there's just a flood of stuff out there? Um, so yeah, I, I think you're right. And I think that's a very normal process that happens in the food industry. It happens in a lot of industries, right? You get, you know, I, I work in the food industry and, you know, whatever's on trend, all of a sudden you have 50 brands of it. And then, yes. you know, obviously after about a year, about half of those go away because that's not what the market actually needs, right? And so the consumer will decide what is needed. And then those other brands, unfortunately, will will kind of go to the wayside, which, you know, is unfortunate because lives and jobs are, are uh, you know, um, you know, a part of that. But that's just how business works, unfortunately. Right, right. And, and like in the comic book industry over the last like six to eight years, mm -hmm. a lot of money came in from outside sources that wasn't specifically about publishing yeah it was about people sort of looking at comics as the next ip gold rush yeah and so publishers sprung up whose business model weren't wasn't centered around making quality content yeah it was more about putting out as many of these titles as possible so they could have more shots at things being turned into ip yeah. which in you know, turn flooded the market, the comic book shops just see all this content coming out. They don't want to be left behind. Yeah. They don't want to miss out on the next hot thing. So right. maybe they're spending a little bit too much. Consumers are like now buying 20 titles a month versus, yeah. you know, the, the 10 titles that they really want. So it, yeah. it made the market messy. Yeah. And so hopefully yeah. now we're going to go to a point where it we don't lose too much of the good talent, Yeah, but we, yeah. we, we pare it down to to quality content that or quality books that that people want to read that people want to buy mm. uh, that creators want to make yeah i wonder if that has something to do with you know obviously there's you know i'm a big fan of indie comics i probably spend 70 percent of my money on comics on indies just because i think some of the coolest stories are coming out of that but i still buy a lot of dc i still buy a lot of marvel but I've noticed the quality of um, some of the storytelling has gone down. And what I've noticed is those publishers, you, you'll have like a, an issue seven that has nine uh, covers and you're just like nine covers on an issue. I could see maybe like a, an issue 1000 or an issue 500 or a 250, but on a random one, you're just like, and maybe they're trying to offset some of that with, uh, you know, art and some of the other things, which, I, I feel is a sign of, like you said, maybe a little bit of contraction. I don't know if you agree with that at all or. Oh, 100%. Like everyone yeah. right now is trying to figure out what the new paradigm is to be profitable. Yeah. Yeah. And for some publishers, that means I'm going to do more on whatnot or yeah. I'll launch a Kickstarter so I can go direct to consumer. For, mm -hmm. for some, it's like figuring out I need more variant covers to yeah. sort of uh, so what, whatever that publisher excels in, yeah, they're yeah. looking to do that to sort of augment the the overall number of sales going down because there was a bit of a speculator bubble that happened during COVID where yeah. there were a lot of people who hadn't collected <laughs> comics for a while who yeah. weren't at work and they're like, I need to make some money. Maybe I can buy and flip comics. And so that kind of ballooned the market a little bit. So, yeah. so all of these things that are happening, um, we're now paying the consequence mm -hmm. for a market that was was inflated in the stores or the publishers that didn't have the foresight to say, okay, this new revenue stream is not going to last forever are yeah. dealing with the fact that they overexpanded and, and, and whatnot. So, yeah, yeah. Well, that's very interesting. Well, I appreciate you sharing your insight. I know you've been in the industry for a while. So uh, I think that's very helpful for others to understand kind of what's going on because yeah. there's a lot of noise out there and, you know, a lot of times it goes super negative and I don't think it's all negative. I just think it's part of what has to happen when those type of things take place. 
Right. And, and I think a lot of people go quickly to it's because of X type of content or Y yeah. type of content that sales yeah. are going down. But if you look at the, the general overall business of comics, and this is what I, I try to tell to any new creator coming in. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, when I came back to comics, so just, you know, quickly my journey for. Yeah. Oh, for that'd people. be great. Yeah. You know, when, when I was in college, I was looking at two different paths. One was either to to go work in comic books or mm -hmm. to go work in film and television. And I interned at Marvel, which was a, was a wonderful time and, you know, when I was in college. Yeah. And so I was really excited to do that until I got a job offer in Los Angeles. You know, when my senior year is like, hey, do you want to come work out for this film production company? So yeah. I ended up moving to Los Angeles. So I, I worked in, you know, animation, like I said, film, television for, for a while. But the industry was kind of shifting to a point where if we go back to that dreaded word IP, intellectual yeah. property, everybody wanted something based on something. Mm -hmm. And as a writer, I was kind of going up against the, these brick walls because there were so many things I would pitch and, and mm -hmm. the production companies would love them. Yeah. But they didn't want to commit because they weren't based on something besides an idea. Yeah. <laughs> like they're like, this is a good idea. <laughs> but we need a good idea that's based on something. It doesn't even have yeah. to be it's like this. <laughs> it's driving me crazy. Yeah, so, I could see that. Um, I said, you know what? You know, I wanted to do comics. Maybe yeah. I can just create a comic or two of of some of the ideas that I'm, I'm running up against these brick walls with, and we'll see where that goes. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, where, where it ended up happening was I fell in love again with making comics, and that started becoming very successful for me. But and, and so I kind of forgot about the film and television side of things for for a long time because at the end of the day, I think if you're making comics to make a film or television you're yeah. going to make bad comics. Yeah. You have to make sure that you're making something for the medium and you're embracing and you're loving it. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, you know, going back to my point about, you know, understanding the business, when I came to comics, I was like, I'm a writer. Yeah. What's the best way to do this? You know, do I want to pitch to publishers? Do I, you know, you know, do I want to do it on my own? Like what, what are the, you know, what are the different business models? How are they paying creators? Right. What do I need to do to sustain what I want to do? Which mm -hmm. was white ash, which is uh, this, you know, the, the world that you've sort of bought into. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and the quick pitch for white ash is it's uh, Romeo and Juliet meets Lord of the Rings in rural Pennsylvania. So or neat, imagine yeah. <laughs> guys, supernatural um, got stuck in Riverdale, but rather than battling demons from hell, they had to deal with the worst of Mordor. So, exactly. <laughs> grounded fantasy in coal mining country and yeah. um, i started looking and this was this was like uh 2016 i was mm -hmm. looking at the numbers in the direct market even then because back then you could actually see what the numbers were yeah uh, real and what i saw was if you weren't one of like five people mm -hmm. launching a book even at a company like image which yeah. for a lot of creators is the best independent deal that you can get yeah, um, I wasn't going to be able to sustain it because I saw how quickly the numbers dropped off after an issue one down to an issue two. And yeah. I knew what I was going to pay for, for my creative team. And I was like, OK, best case, I do four issues of something. Yeah. My other option is I find a studio that I mean, a publisher that wants to pick it up. They're going to pay for it. Mm -hmm. um, I'm going to give away most of my rights because they're paying for it. And it's only going to continue past issue four or five if it's a big hit. Yeah. yeah. It was also like unappealing to me, which was like, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's, it's like I was like, this sounds terrible. Yeah. Oh, this also sounds terrible. What do I do? <laughs> right, right. And, and that brought me to Kickstarter, which had not blown up quite yet. And at mm -hmm. that time was still, there was mostly the Wild West. There yeah. were a couple of good books, a lot of terrible content. Um, but people were starting to do some good things there. Yeah. And I put the first issue of White Ash out and it did well, yeah. which led me to the next one. And from there, it blew up as a brand that was doing really well on Kickstarter, yeah. uh, which started attracting publishers mm -hmm. coming over to look at me and saying, hey, do you want, can we put your book out? Mm -hmm. uh, which led to a conversation with Scout Comics. That's right. Yeah. And Scout picked up White Ash. Mm -hmm. And as we were having lots of uh, conversations about, hey, how do you do this for promotion? How do you do that? Scout was like, oh, you have a lot of good ideas. Maybe you could help us. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, for a couple of months, I ended up being an editor at Scout. And then the publisher was leaving Scout. And mm. they said, you know what? We think you'd be a great fit. And so I stepped up and I became co-publisher at Scout Comics for about two, two and a half years. Yeah. Um, so, so I really got a sense from being a creator mm -hmm. to being 
publisher at a co company that was doing a lot of independent comics and you know yeah. working with retailers and seeing the market but what i realized through all of that was for me kickstarter was a much better home because it was a mm -hmm. place where i could communicate directly with my fans yeah. you know i wasn't trying to sell things to a store right. i could just sell it to people and i had a huge fan base that loved me there yeah. so and, and i was also having trouble time splitting time between being a publisher Right. Where you're trying to be like dad of all the kids. Yeah. <laughs> uh, to being a creator where you have a couple of your babies that you really want to give yeah. your love to. And I didn't think that was fair. So yeah. I, I stepped down from, from Scout and came back to Kickstarter. And that's where I've been doing most of my books. Mm -hmm. And as a writer and a storyteller, it's yeah. a wonderful thing to be able to make enough money to support yourself. Right. To pay people that you're working with a, a good wage. Yeah. And to, you know, have an open-ended invitation to make more stories. Yeah. And that's kind of the position I'm in right now, which again, it's very privileged. Yeah. It's very comics, but I know that if I have a story, people are going to come and read them, at least in the Kickstarter space right now, which is yeah. wonderful. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's fantastic. I think that's the dream of any creator is to get to that point where at least you're able to self-sustain your lifestyle through the art that you're putting forth and, not a lot of people get to that point, Charlie, to be quite honest. It's, yeah, it's, it's not it's that true. easy, right? Yeah, I, I, I'm very lucky. And I also yeah. get to write the stories exactly the way I want. Yeah. <laughs> uh, one of the things that I, I also appreciate about Kickstarter is I don't need to do a 20-page issue. Yeah. You know, as, as, you, as you, you know, like that first issue of Glaring was... Oh, yeah. uh, the it's next a... one that's coming out uh, that we're actually coming back to Kickstarter in two weeks oh, wow. is number three. And that's going to be a 44-page issue. Because <laughs> I was writing, I'm like, you know what? You're getting like, close to graphic novel sections there, Charlie. <laughs> it's, it's true. It's true. Like, and, and, but I also think um, prices on Kickstarter are a little bit higher. Yeah. You know, and I want to make sure that when I bring a story to Kickstarter, it's right, something yeah. that's worth. You can wait. You know, if only two or three come out a year, it's okay right. because they're big, hefty tomes. Yeah. I print them yeah, on right. really high end paper, and and yeah. and so it feels like a premium book. Possibly. Yeah, absolutely. No, hundred percent, hundred percent. Yeah. Kickstarter. I mean, they just change, kind of changed the game. You know, I, I have, I'm fortunate. I live in a small town called Hemet near Palm Springs and we have a comic book store here in town called Diggers Comics and Collectibles. And so, you know, I go there on my Wednesday and I, I pick up my comic books. Um, but I have, I have found that uh, Kickstarter has become my second LCS so I, I go through, I get my, you know, Wednesday comics and I have my Green Lantern because I love Green Lantern, and those type of things. But then I go shopping and I, I find myself scrolling constantly through Kickstarter. Obviously, being on social media, you're being kind of directed there constantly anyways, but uh, because of the content that I follow. But I, I find it as like a secondary comic book store for indie comics. And I absolutely love it. I probably get, I think I've backed almost 60 in the last maybe eight months, seven months, just because there's so much good content now beginning. Now, don't get me wrong. Sometimes you look at the cover and you read the story, you're like, that's amazing. Then you get it and you're like, that's not what I thought I was getting, right? But more often but than not, the, I feel like it's good quality that I'm getting though. That's also the LCS too. Oh, 100%, 100%, <laughs> absolutely. You know, you're absolutely right, yeah. You yeah, know, like it happens everywhere, it happens everywhere. Yeah, I mean, look, and everyone's trying to sell their comic with their cover. Yeah, exactly, um, yeah. And that um, is the first thing you see, right? That's what attracts me immediately, right? Is what's the genre? What's the cover look like? Is the art really cool? And then you find the story and then that's what makes you buy the second issue, to be quite honest. Yes. So trick me once, I'll buy your first issue. But if I don't like it, obviously I'm not going back for the second. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I, that, that's, I, I always feel like um, a lot of my books, mm -hmm. my best pitch is if you read the issue. Yeah, exactly. I, 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 I exactly. can give you a snappy one-liner, but... Yeah. I'd rather you read the issue because yeah. when you get to the end of it, if you like it, you're probably going to like all my books. Yeah, right? exactly. Yeah. I'm yeah. a fan for life. Hopefully. Yeah. Right. I was, I can't remember who I was listening to um, on, uh, I think it was a YouTube channel or maybe it was a podcast, but they were talking about a, a new fan base that have come into the comics that aren't really into the storytelling as much as they're into just collecting um, and like you said, I think it probably started during the pandemic where people were trying to find, you know, Silver Age comics where they could hopefully flip them at one time. But we've gotten such a big portion of those kind of collectors 
that the the stories right are being missed a lot i don't know if you kind of feel that a little bit and we need to get people back into the stories to really strengthen the industry and there's a lot of really good stories out there and i'm wondering if there's just not enough eyes on it because there's such a collector side of the business well i i think it depends on where you're talking about right yeah i also the process of writing mm. so if you're talking about the price of, process of say writing a monthly book at Marvel or DC, mm -hmm. and sometimes it feels thin. Some yeah. of that is about the time constraints that are put on writers to work, okay. right? Because yeah. it's a monthly churn, and it's it's different. Like I'll be completely honest. Like I can take two or three months yeah. to write a script, right? And and yes, yeah. it'll be a longer script, but I I can really invest my time in it because I'm not trying to do it on a yeah. monthly schedule, and it makes yeah. it easier. Mm -hmm. um, versus versus you're trying to turn it out. So like that that's part of it. But I do think that there is definitely a collector's mentality that's come back to comics. And if, yeah. if you've been collecting long enough, you probably remember in the, the late 90s, there yeah. was a boom um, of, of, of smaller publishers or new publishers. Yeah. And every cover was with hollow chrome foil. <laughs> I think it was in the early 90s with Image, right, that really blew up. I think uh, Todd McFarlane sold almost 2 million copies of issue right, one as right. Bond. And to this day, it's only worth like $20 because it, the market's flooded with it, right? <laughs> right. And But the, also, like, that's like there was a whole bunch of other companies that came yeah. up because of that, right? For sure, and the yeah. Malibu, and they're, I can't even remember. I'm just, just yeah. trying to think of like, at the time, there there were like four or five mm -hmm. that were now there that had not been there before, mm -hmm. and whole new universes that you're trying to to stay on top of. And there was all these speculators who came in from baseball cards. Yeah, and, exactly. And there was all these baseball card shops <laughs> That's right. that said, you know what, this is the new hot speculator thing. Yeah. So they came to comics and, and create a comic section. Yeah. Which or demand for the comics yeah. and but it was a whole bunch of people who came in who didn't know yeah. anything about comics yeah <laughs> really only cared about the collectible aspect sure. and we're trying to do that which yeah. is i think something that happened now so it's it is it's history repeating itself and yeah. the whole market almost tanked because of that you know you yeah. have the boom and yeah. then people realizing <laughs> this is not sustainable and yeah. then there was contraction and are we going to survive this so i think yeah. right now we're in that a little bit of that contraction are we going to survive yeah. this um, but but the difference is with some of these direct-to-consumer channels that have emerged, yeah, creators a chance to sort of ride this out in ways they couldn't before because sure. if a publisher goes under, yeah, you have other ways to get your content out that didn't exist 20 years ago. So true, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so true. Yeah, I'm noticing that every time there's a new writer on a uh on a comic, it becomes issue number one again too. So I've gotten, I can't remember how many issue number ones of Superman over the last three years. And what, I mean, they gotta be over a thousand, right? At this point with Superman, so. Yeah, it's it's true. And, and, and yeah. because the problem is it's also, um, it, it's reinforced by the fact that when you do that as a publisher, yeah. the numbers go up. They do. And, and, and I mean, that's why they keep doing it, right? <laughs> They complain about it, but people buy them. So, and then I'm one of them too. I complain about it too. I hate it. It just drives me crazy. And yet I come home and I got my ninth issue one of Superman over the last four years because there's been so many writers on it. So I, you know, I, I complain about it, but I'm the one spending the money on it for sure. It's also, you know, like for me, uh, and I always apologize to my, to my, uh, my fans and my readers with White yeah. Ash, because we went from Kickstarter to Scout and yeah. now back to Kickstarter. The numbering is all sorts of screwed up. Yeah, yeah. But that's explainable, Charlie. That's explainable. <laughs> what you see in Marvel sometimes, and even Image does sometimes, it's just not explainable. There's no need for that. <laughs> that for money, right? Yeah, for sure, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so Charlie, can we go wait? I would love to know, like, in your childhood, like, when did when when did you you remember the first time you picked up a comic and you were like, "Wow, this is amazing." So, um, so I have like two periods of, of comic, you know, like sort of, um, my introduction to comic stories. Yeah. And the first was when I was really young in like the five to, to seven range. Uh -huh. um, I think we, we went on a trip to California back when I lived on the East coast. And so uh -huh. my parents had bought me some comics for that trip to get on the plane. And that sort of snowballed into a box of comics that I had that I kept on my floor that, you know, that the covers were mostly ripped off of. Yeah. Ripped off of. And um, 
And so, so that was like uh, old Marvel team ups with Spider-Man. Um, I had uh, a couple issues of Amazing Spider-Man, yeah. like like the introduction of Madam Web. Like that was <laughs> one of the first comics that I had. And um, and, and so, so like and then, then there was a couple of Wonder Woman. And like there mm-hmm. were these because they were there were two packs or three packs that someone yeah. bought or something <laughs> so, so i had like that box yeah and, you know, and, and that was just something that was in the corner of my room and every now and then i'd pull them out yeah. and then i fell in love with transformers uh, uh like a lot of children of the 80s and i was like I have sure. to all the money goes into these toys yeah <laughs> i was buying all of these toys and um and, and so like for a couple of years that was all i put my money into yeah, and then I was again in I th- again I'll go back to Bradley's a chain that no longer exists, yeah. <laughs> and I was going to get the Transformers, and then I saw a three pack of the Transformer comics, <laughs> and it was, it was Transformer one, two, and three. Oh and yeah, I, of course I'm going to get that, yeah. and so I'm reading it, and I get to the second issue, and Spider Man was battling Megatron, <laughs> and he was in a black costume. Oh wow! And I was like, what's up with that? Yeah, so yeah. I, man in a black costume <laughs> and i had to go you know pick up an issue of spider-man yeah uh, and this was me now at like 11 uh-huh. an issue of spider-man yeah. and then it was all because you know <laughs> like, it was like then I, all of a sudden it, this was this came in right or just like half a year before craven's last hunt oh and yeah so, all of a sudden, I was like, "Oh my goodness!" Now I'm buying <laughs> up Spider-Man and Spectacular Spider-Man, yeah. and there's all these references to the fall of the mutants and what is that? <laughs> so I picked up an X-Men book, and then I, and it, you know, yeah. they get, and, and like one title sucked you in, and then all of a sudden, by the yeah. time I was 14, 15, I was probably getting 40 titles a month. Yeah, <laughs> um, and and back then it was a little bit more manageable because there were these subscription services. Yeah, you get everything for. 50 55 percent off yeah and, and so like that, that was, you know, like it was my life yeah. from yeah. basically from uh, about 13 through graduating college comics mm-hmm. was a huge part of it uh i i had my own strip in the school paper in the college yeah. paper and i really did think that that was going to be my life writing comic books being a comic book publisher and then i went into the film and television industry for 20 years <laughs> and so <laughs> And then I ended up doing this anyway. So yeah. life takes you down all these different paths. Yeah. But I, right now I'm living the life yeah. that I was originally intended to do. And yep. I'm thrilled to be doing. Now, when you went into uh, film and animation and TV, that experience over that 20 year period, did, can you draw from a lot of that that has made you a better writer today because of some of that experience? Like what, what are some of the things that you gained out of there that you utilize on a daily basis as a comic creator? So, so there's, there's two, two sides of it. Uh-huh. One is like on the writing side from, from strictly being a writer. Yeah. And on the other side, it's the promotion side, mm. how to do all these things that made me an effective publisher that right. made, make me very good in the Kickstarter space. Mm-hmm. And both of those things were directly influenced by the time that I spent mm-hmm. you know, in Hollywood. Yeah, um, I also, for a little while, I was a feature film editor. Mm-hmm. Uh, I edited and produced a documentary. I, I did some trailers for Hulu. So yeah. like all of these things on the promotional side, when I worked in animation, one right. of the things we also do as writers is create pitch packages. And mm-hmm. so all of those things, and, and they yeah. have animation to them, or um, and it, they translate directly to what I need to do to be able to sell comics on Kickstarter. Right. Uh, from the writing side, yeah. I mean, I think when you, I mean, I had an amazing writers group uh, when I first moved out to LA, mm-hmm. and most of those people are either professional TV or film writers now, mm-hmm. uh, with created shows and done other things, and so we all worked together and critiqued each other, and yeah. and so when you're in an environment, and these were just friends, but who are all immensely talented, yeah. you all make each other better writers. Yeah, and I think when you go through a professional development process, mm-hmm. like working on scripts and like being able to take in those notes, they, they push you yeah. um, as you often hate the notes that you get, but you're being paid large sums of money to make them work. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Creatively, you yeah. need to take those notes that you hate, sure. make them work, but yeah. make something you're equally or, or, you know, even more happy with than yeah. what you start. So yeah. I, I think, 
you know, learning how to do iterations, I think learning how to take criticism. Mm -hmm. I think that that's something that a lot of particular younger creators or first time creators have a hard time doing is sort of taking that criticism in, finding the note behind the note. So, so working professionally as a writer in all of these other fields for sure made it a lot easier. And yeah. having contacts in animation when I was looking for artists, mm-hmm. you know, having worked with a lot of storyboard artists and understanding storytelling, yeah. that helps me sort of have a background and a perspective to know what I'm looking for in an artist, but mm-hmm. also to effectively give notes. Yeah. That's amazing. And then when you were at Scout, I was curious because I, I had read that you know, obviously as an editor, I, I understand that piece, but you also look for talent and you brought in um certain titles correct what yeah someone oh go ahead please no no finish finish your question no i was just gonna say um as you're looking for a new title or, or some new talent to come into scout what are some of the things that you're looking for is it really the uniqueness of the story is it the story writing is it like can you kind of go into what you would look for as you were searching for talent so yes i mean i, I think there there's Two different sides to the question. You know, okay. What what makes a comic book that you can sell in the stores, mm-hmm. and how does one go about looking for those things? Gotcha. Right? Yeah. And I think um, in terms of what sells in the stores, mm-hmm. th- that changes over time. Yeah. Um, and you also have to know which company you are, and yeah. different companies can market different books more effectively. Yeah. Um, and I think if you're an independent publisher, the hardest book to market is that new superhero book. Yeah. Yeah. Outside of uh, Invincible and, uh, you know, Black Hammer. Yeah. 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 I think Rogue One, some of the new ones that come out have done well. But yeah, you're right. It's a a pretty crowded space with DC and Marvel, right? (laughs) Right, right. You're competing against characters that have 60 to 80 years worth of development. Right. Figuring out what works for them doesn't. There are popular characters that everyone knows. So there's a shorthand to them. So it's a much harder space to break into. So, you know, I, I think looking for books and the creator owned space, it's a combination of, is this art sellable? Yeah. Is this concept sellable? Um, is it of a professional quality? Because mm-hmm. at a company like Scout, you do get a lot of first time creators. Yeah. Who are coming. For, from my perspective, what I was trying to do was, you know, in terms of looking for talent was to more reach out to creators who had other credits Okay. You buttress the newer creators, mm-hmm. the creators, the stores could sell. Yeah. Yeah. Because, and, and that's not a knock on new creators who were amazing. Right. But yeah. if only puts out books from creators no one has heard of, yeah. it's harder for us to sell. So sure. it's, it's the same way like when a new publisher springs up like Boom did. They acquired yeah. the license to Power Rangers because mm-hmm. everyone knew Power Rangers. So the stores were going to stock the Boom books because yeah. they had Power Rangers. And so then that starts making the boom brand recognizable and that's Mm -hmm. why a lot of these new publishers get the licenses to the established brands and that helps them sort of make a space in the marketplace so i was looking to try to bring in creators um that i thought could do the same for scout Mm -hmm. creators a little bit of name recognition right uh, and a lot of them were creators i knew Mm -hmm. kickstarter or i'd met at conventions because you know a lot of industries are small industries and Mm -hmm. this one is particularly small and a lot of people know each other and comics don't have a lot of money to them. And so you want to find good people that, you know, are going to maybe lift up the community because that's how you succeed as a smaller company when everyone pitches in. Mm -hmm. And so it was finding the right type of creator who could hopefully lift the company's profile to help everyone, but Mm -hmm. also team players, people I liked, people that I wanted to work with. Yeah, yeah. Very interesting. What a, a neat experience too. Um, I mean, two and a half years, I mean, that's a pretty good time. I and mean, what was the most enjoyable part of um, being an editor at Scout? Well, I mean, like it, the editing time was short. Like uh-huh. I, the editing was only a couple of months and then I sort okay. of moved up publisher and was like, doing yeah, that. I love talking to the shops. Yeah. Um, Cause things I would do is I would call, call stores all around the country yeah. to talk about scout, to see what was selling, what wasn't selling. Yeah. Um, I loved working with new creators 
mm-hmm. because like there's something so special about the first time you walk into your LCS and you see yeah. the book you wrote. Yeah. <laughs> and, and it's magic. Sure. So, yeah. so I, I loved that aspect of it. Yeah. Um, I mean, the, the industry in general, it can be difficult yeah. And I think it can be very hard. And then the financial realities come through. So I always wanted to prepare people for what those yeah. things were. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I think that it's at its core, there are so many of us who wanted to get into it because this meant so much to us when we were younger or at yeah, a particular yeah. time in our life that we found comics and mm-hmm. we realized what a magical medium they could be. Sure. And, and so to be able to help someone take the next step in your in their journey, that yeah. for me, the most meaningful thing yeah i mean a lot of mentorship it sounds like took place yeah i mean that's very and i still do that in yeah. the kickstarter space where yeah. i actually like um i have like scout did okay do, does mm-hmm. fine but it's a small publisher yeah whereas yeah. in the kickstarter space you know i i personally am a top 10 brand there yeah. so i carry more weight there than i ever did in the direct market so it's right. easier for help other people on social media or yeah. in the Kickstarter space get what they need done or, or give them advice that's actionable. Yeah. That can't in the same way in the direct market because, you know, I, I can't control all those different stores, but right. I can tell you what you're doing on the project page is not going to sell your book. Yeah. That's, that's awesome. Well, let's talk a little bit about the world of white ash. Um, what are some new news um, around White Ash? I know you mentioned in two weeks we'll see a Kickstarter um, jump out again. Can you kind of give yes. us a bit more insight about that? Sure. So, so like I said, White Ash is our, is our modern day grounded fantasy series yeah. that takes place in uh, White Ash, Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. And um, we have a spinoff series, which is called Glarin, which mm-hmm. is the origin story of the world's most dangerous elf. But yeah. it's told through the eyes of a young woman in 1970s New York who's having yeah. visions of being this elf warrior from 3000 years ago. <laughs> I kind of look at it a little bit at like um, uh, Red Sonia meets Taxi Driver, but with <laughs> elves and, uh, and, and, and and so, you know, I, I love, I love fantasy. Yeah. yeah I just absolutely love, adore fantasy. But I think, you know, when you look at something like Lord of the Rings, it's hard yeah. to out Tolkien Tolkien. <laughs> and, you know, That's a good point. And, and so when you start doing these gigantic worlds, yeah. sometimes it's easy to get lost in them. Sure. You know, and, and people yeah. get lost in their world building. Yeah. And why people ultimately care about comics are the characters. They want yeah. big expansive worlds, but they want characters that they care about. So the way I like to tell my stories is, you know, set them in a place that is relatable, whether it's coal mining country, whether it's New York City. And then the fantasy comes in, but mm-hmm. you have a place that grounds you. So you, yeah. can, you can sort of take the story and go from there and, and then you build that world. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but White Ash is this big, expansive story. Yeah. Uh, and I like to sort of describe the relationship between White Ash and Galarian a little bit like um, the series Lost, mm-hmm. where like, there was a series, like Lost was, was structured with all these flashbacks, right? Mm-hmm. At the narrative that went forward that was on the island, and yeah. then the flashbacks would tell you kind of how they got there. Yeah. and recontextualize things and so white ash is the main series that's going forward on the island mm-hmm. and glarian is the, a bit of the flashback and we yeah. you know we have a couple of other glarian short stories and things like that and all of that is context to sort of say yeah. how everything started in white ash and eventually those things will kind of dovetail together and you know going forward there'll be more connectivity <laughs> that's really exciting and it's really exciting to see the world continue to expand to yeah, yeah. Like so, we just we recently did a, a hardcover of, of Glarian short stories. Yeah, um, and uh, so we've got Glarian Origins three. Early next year, we'll have more White Ash coming out, and then we yeah. have a couple of one shots set in the universe that are coming out. Um, I have another series called The Game. Yeah, um, I have that one back here. Yeah. Yes, which uh, issue three is being finished of that right now. Nice. Uh, rounded science fiction series. Yeah. Um, and I like to say for that one, imagine if Sam from the original Quantum Leap jumped into <laughs> the body of the Highlander and had no <laughs> idea how he got there or what was going on. That's pretty um, good description, yeah. Because it's you know it's about a guy who on his thirtieth birthday starts seeing these numbers out of the corner yep. of his eye. He's not sure what's yeah, you going. Yeah, you could you could see he did that on the cover right there with all yeah, the numbers yeah. in the back. <laughs> and he finds out it's this score that's keeping track yeah. of everything he does in life and yeah. what feels like this cosmic joke. 
he finds out is something more as people start to think he's player number three in this game that's been played for a thousand years. <laughs> he needs to figure out why and what yeah. if he doesn't want to, you know, end up yeah. dead. Uh, so, you know, it's like, and, and so there'll be more of that coming and I have a spin off of that that's in development. So again, yeah. I'm in a very privileged place where I get to build these universes, build these spin off stories and, and have a fan base that seems to be enjoying it and growing. For and sure. so it's, Again, as a writer, it's just a wonderful place to be. Absolutely. Is it a nice break? I mean, obviously, you love the world of White Ash that you've created. Is it kind of a nice break to go to the game and then have another genre that you could kind of develop that's apart from that? Like, do you need that as a writer, a little bit of a break where you have a completely different story that you need to think of? Or do you, would you you spend more time in this, obviously? Um. The truth is, as you write a lot quicker than someone can draw. Mm, that's true. Yeah. So, like, the first five <laughs> issues of the game are done. Right. Oh, and so, yeah. I'll transition over into yeah. White Ash for a little bit. Yeah. I have another series, which is called um, How I Slept My Way Through College and Other Tales from Freshman Year, which is <laughs> of, um, a, a thriller, which is more grounded, less fantasy. But yeah. even in that, in a, in a college, um, with, with a bunch of these young ladies and one of them finds out her professor's running this high-end escort service. <laughs> students call girls. So it's like modern day grounded, but one of them is a comic book fan and does glaring cosplay. So, you know, so I even tie everything together overall. I love it. I um, love it. I love it. But yeah, you know, I, I, I do like to sort of mix back and forth yeah. between these different things. And hopefully the, the key is to make sure that everyone I'm working with always has work to do yeah. when they need um, yeah. I think Philip was talking about that in your podcast too. You, yeah. you do have the responsibility when you have people counting on you for, you know, the work. If Absolutely, you start getting yeah. many series going, yeah. you know, like, okay, where is this artist? Where is this artist yeah. <laughs> first? So yeah. it's less about like, you know, what I need. And it's yeah. more about what I'm collaborating with. We'll need when yeah. they need it. Can you, um, and I ask this of a lot of creators and with your experience, I think you would have a really good answer to it. What, can you kind of share that uh, that dance between a writer and an artist and how important that is? Because within comics, right, you're limited to the words or how much of the words that you could use, right? And so the, the art really needs to help tell that story. But you have to have, I think, a really good connection with your artist so you're on the same page so that story comes forth. Can you kind of talk to your process and how important that is to you? Sure. I mean, I think when it comes down to it, some of that comes from who the artist is that you're working with, right? Yeah, yeah. And I know what I particularly look for in an artist is someone who does good posing, mm. acting of the characters, yeah. uh, because I have a lot of things that aren't fight scenes. Yeah. That aren't, like, like there's, there's going to be dialogue there. So you want someone yeah. who can handle that casual conversation of two people having coffee. Right? Yeah. The artist yeah. draw that and make it interesting, make it feel like it's not just two talking heads, then you know you have someone who's worth collaborating with. Right. Um, but I think from a writer's perspective, mm -hmm. it's important to know the strengths of yeah. the, the artist that you're working with, mm -hmm. how they like to um, work best. Yeah. Uh, if English is their first language. For sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Any English. Yeah. Um, I, I, Mina Morinelli, who's incredible. I only recently learned that she's been putting all the scripts through Google Translate. Yeah. <laughs> uh, much English. Yeah. However, she's an amazing parent and she yeah. gets the scripts. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like some artists intrinsically just click with you. Yeah. And, and she is someone that I have a rapport with and she loves what I write. And I think, I think that's also important too, is you need to find someone who likes the kind of story that you're telling Right. So yeah. Feel like this is an obligation. Oh my God, I got to run. Like, it's like, they're excited to do this story with you. Yeah. And then I think like the, the last part is the with you. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, I, and there are too many, especially young writers who come to this, who think I'm Alan Moore. Yeah. I'm going to write, you know, a block of text for yeah. every single panel and tell you which brand number two pencil is going to be in the shot, you know, right. and exactly, you know, the angle, the cameras. And I, right. For, for me, it's it's a collaboration yeah. and you have to know what, and, okay, so here's the real key, knowing what you do well as a writer. Yeah. yeah. And where should you hand that baton off? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Good point. And, yeah. You know, and 
I trust the artists I'm working with yeah. in terms of the visual mm -hmm. aesthetic of, of the yeah. book, in terms of where the camera position is going to be. Yeah. For me, what's important is where do certain beats land? Mm. You Because know, I go back to my editing background. I right. know where the shot needs to cut back right. and forth. And, and so, you know, it's important for me, this page has this rhythm. Mm. It's five panels. It's going to have seven panels. It's going to have nine right. panels, two, you know, it's so like the pacing of the story changes. Yeah. Uh, and also how does the dialogue hit? It's mm -hmm. this bit on this panel, this bit on this panel. Right. Beat of rest, like whatever it is. And so like, that's important for me. Mm -hmm. you know, I'm going to indicate what I need. Occasionally I'll put in, okay, we're on the same shot here. Right. Or this really tight. But often I'll let, you know, let the action imply it to yeah. the artist. And so for me personally, is like I break down how many panels, mm -hmm. how the composition of that specific panel is or how they lie on the page to the artist. Mm -hmm. Because that's also one of those things when you're in the minutiae of it. And it's, again, yeah. as some artist and draw and draw myself, mm -hmm. you have a better sense of the flow when you're in it mm. versus when I've written it. You know, like, okay, well, I want this tight here. I do need to go wider to give a little more perspective. So right. it feels, you know, and, and sometimes when you're a writer, you you have trouble visualizing everything as well as the end product. And and that's what these people do so well. Yeah. And so trust yeah. your collaborators to yeah. make you look good. And that's yeah. what I mean. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, you know, I've worked with an artist from Moscow, um, Russia, who does the same thing, right? And so his English is quite broken any Google translate, but it's amazing um, how good he is. And uh, it, it's kind of refreshing. I mean, we've seen so much talent out of the Philippines, out of Brazil, specifically um, Argentina. There's quite a few out of Argentina. Um, yeah. So I, I think that's really exciting that this whole world of Kickstarter has really brought um, like a whole host of artists from all these other countries that have grown up with comics like we have that maybe we wouldn't have noticed um, if it was just a, a, you know, a smaller indie community. Right. And, and then these people often get picked up by other publishers. They do. <laughs> Particularly my artists. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, you, you're always happy for everybody that moves on, but that's got to be kind of a, especially when you have a brand like White Ash that does have a certain style of art. You certainly don't want to go to, you know, an issue five and you've had someone who's been reading you for five years. And you're like, what happened? I mean, this is right, completely right. And, different. And, and I wouldn't do that. Like, I like yeah, I, yeah. I am flexible enough that I can work around the schedule. That's true. And I'm yeah, happy yeah. that these people are getting job offers from Dynamite and from yeah. IDW. And, and like, but it's also it's a sign <laughs> that you're choosing well. Yeah. Especially that like maybe these companies are are scouting out artists using your books too. For like sure, absolutely. <laughs> you know, yeah. Connor, who has done, um, who do, does White Ash, has lately been doing covers for Skybound. Um, oh, how cool is that? They have yeah. put their eye on him, like, oh, this guy is really <laughs> good. Um, yeah, uh, and so he just did like a five or six six connecting covers for Walking Dead. Oh, how um, cool is that? And he's got a new cover for Void Rivals that's coming out. Ooh. So like putting him on the good books. Yeah. I mean, I'm so excited about, I get chills thinking about void rivals, by the way, because I'm a big transformer fan. So I can't wait. And then tomorrow uh, transformers comes out. So I'm really excited about that, but yeah, I mean, that's so exciting. Um, and like you said, we, we talked a little bit about mentorship a little bit earlier when you were at boom, just to have an artist that, you know, you've created this, this path for them to be noticed by someone else, right. Without white ash, that connection might not have ever been made. I mean, who knows, right? But that's pretty awesome that uh, you've been able to provide that for someone like that. That's pretty exciting. Yeah. And, and I never want to say that any of the artists who have worked with me only succeeded because they were seen through yeah. my past. That yeah. said, if what we did together helped them take for another sure. step in their career, that does yeah. make me very happy. Yeah. I mean, I think that's so neat that they get that kind of exposure. So. Now, where can people buy your your comics if they want to go back and maybe they haven't gotten into White Ash? Where do they go to get uh, season one and uh, jump into season two? Well, so I, I would say there are two really good places that they okay. can sort of pick up content. One is, uh, and I can give you the link for this. Beautiful. Uh, Thank you. Monday the 16th, uh, there will be a Galarian Kickstarter launching. Mm -hmm. And you can sign up right now for our pre-launch page. Beautiful. And Especially on day one and two, we have a lot of discounted catch-up tiers. So awesome. that, that's the cheapest way. And we'll have a White Ash Universe package, 
which you can get every book in the White Ash universe. <laughs> Love it. We have White Ash Comics universe pack, which includes all the issues of the game and how yeah. I slept my way through college and the other things we do. <laughs> so there are ways for you to catch up much cheaper than you could through the store. Yeah. Um, but uh, in, usually from our Kickstarters, we have a link to our web store. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, you can also get the, the trade for the first season of White Ash through Scout Comics. Yeah. Uh, and I think it's also available on Amazon, mm. uh, Barnes and Noble. Um, so it's, it's nice that it's out there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's pretty cool. Like you said that when you walk into the comic book store for the first time and you see your comic book, what a feeling when you walk into a Barnes and Noble, <laughs> Charlie, I think that would be kind of cool too. It, it, it really like, un unfortunately I never made, cause this came out like a year and a half ago. I never yeah. made it to one of the ones that had it on the yeah. shelf. Um, yeah. but, uh, they're out there though. No, it's it's definitely there. Yeah, <laughs> uh, lots of people send me pictures. That's of cool. To their Barnes and Noble, turning it out, so it was. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Give so me some good placement while you're in there, right? That's right. <laughs> That's pretty exciting, Charlie. Are we missing anything? Anything else that you would like to share, Charlie, of what you're kind of working on that people should be looking out for? I mean, obviously the the Kickstarter is the number one thing. We'll make sure we put the link on everything when we send that out so people could go and sign up right now and get notified on day one when it goes live. What else, is there anything else that you want people uh, to know? The only thing, other thing I can think of for yeah. right now is if um, if you're in the Los Angeles area, mm -hmm. I will be at LA Comic Con. Uh, oh, okay, good. Who's there? We're gonna do a nice yeah. little big 10 by 20 with a couple of end caps. So um, if, if you're there, come say hello. I'm yeah. happy to sign books. Uh, Connor may be out from, um, New Jersey, if I can, uh, yeah. twist his arm a little bit. So <laughs> yeah. it, it should be a good time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm hoping to be there. So I would love to see you again, uh, Charlie, but, uh, and I can't tell you how much I appreciate you making time for me today. Um, really enjoyed meeting you in Ontario. I thought it was San Diego. I'm like, wait, that was longer ago when I met you out in San Diego. We, we, you know, we, again, we could have, we could have like San Diego was chaos. They're it was such chaos. It was such, I mean, I loved it. It was exciting chaos, but chaos. it was chaos. It was good chaos. But Ontario, I like, I love that show because it gets crowded, um, but not too much to where you can't function, shake hands and say hi to everybody. So uh, yeah, that was, that's where I bought everything. I mean, you sold me on the story and I absolutely loved it. So, so I will be back at Ontario this year, Oh, good. Uh, but I'm probably going to be on the, uh, the exhibit floor. Okay. Yeah. Booth space. Yeah. Um, so so I will see you there, hopefully. Oh, I, I would love that, Charlie. I would love that. Uh, but really, so, I mean, I, I know I reached out to you and I, you were so quick to respond and we were able to get a date really fast. So I really appreciate you coming on. I have a tremendous amount of respect for you, Charlie. Thank you so much. And I hope we could do this again uh, in the near yeah. future when you have some other I'm cool things to going come on. on anytime. And, uh, you know, and thank you. Uh, I mean, I, I think creators are always looking for opportunities to have insightful conversations. And I, I love that you're doing this. And so really anytime that I can, you know, come be part of what you're doing, just let me know. I appreciate that. We'll have a great rest of your week, Charlie. And if you need anything, please reach out. I will. All right. Have a great one.